Um, thank you very much uh, to the band um, and everyone for singing uh, and for Andy um, just a short while ago. Um, just minutes uh, before the service began, Andy said to me, you're in the VIP row, Jeff, VIP row. And then Mark uh, joined us here in the VIP room, row. So you're very welcome, Mark, to the VIP row. Um, Mark didn't agree with everything that Neil said, so I'm hoping he gives me an easier time than he give uh, give Neil. <laughs> just before we start, can we <clears throat> just pray together? Our Father, we just thank you for the truth of what we've reflected on this morning. We give you thanks for the songs that we've sung and for the words that mean so much. But Father, we give thanks for these emblems again that mean everything to us, Father. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, we pray this morning that as we spend some time together looking at your word and learning from it, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts and our minds and change our lives for your glory. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just want to draw attention again to what Adam shared with us in that, that video just do pray um, for that work. We're very privileged to have the likes of Adam here and Ben and others um, who are studying in, in Belfast and are meeting with us. So just remember them in prayer. Um, Adam didn't push that financial bit. It's not about that really, but at the same time, it does cost money. So as a church, maybe we could support in that way too, but just remember that work in prayer. Um, it's a brilliant work, just reaching out to the people of Belfast, the students and others, um, just that they might hear uh, the good news. So we're thinking about you, um, Adam. Thank you very much. And again, for the contribution that he makes to the band, um, we're very, very uh, thankful. Again, just in that context, of course, Adam is involved in Hope in the Streets significantly, and so were some of the other folks here that meet with us, and that is a brilliant work too. So keep praying for that. Um, it's a, a superb, superb work. It's a privilege for me this morning just to follow in the footsteps of, of Ian, um, Ian and Stevie uh, under uh, the, the subject of character under construction. Uh, and the teaching team, I think, have picked a superb title, uh, Character Under Construction. None of us are there yet. Um, we're still being worked on. Uh, God is at work, and we must let him do that. So we're going to look again at a, a, as part of that um, this morning. So I'm thankful to Ian for his very helpful introduction to the topic and for Stevie's very thought-provoking uh, message uh, last week. It was really appreciated. 90 seconds to midnight. 90 seconds to midnight. The Committee of Atomic Scientists have moved the world's doomsday clock the closest it's ever been to midnight. The doomsday clock is a metaphor for how close we are to the end of the world. The atomic clock was the idea of the scientists that were made famous recently in the, uh, the epic blockbuster Oppenheimer, who was responsible under the Manhattan Project for the development of the world's first atomic bomb, which was dropped, of course, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during the war. The devastation that followed uh, resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. And the scientists, not least Oppenheimer, felt the weight of what they had achieved. 
And some of the scientists came up with this concept of drawing the clock. Well, that clock has got closer to midnight than it's ever been. In two days' time, the atomic scientists meet again, and they will reveal how close we are to midnight. That clock was set at 90 minutes to midnight one year ago on the 23rd of January, and they sit again and will reveal how close we are to midnight. They set that clock before some of the events that we've recently observed. In 2022, a survey found that in the UK, almost half, that's 49.63% of people of the population felt lonely, occasionally, sometimes, often, or all the time. Almost 50% of the UK population said they felt lonely. What links these two concepts, the doomsday clock at 90 seconds to midnight, and a UK survey that says that almost half the population feel lonely? What links these two things, apart, of course, from doom and gloom, uh, you'll be glad to come out this morning. The thing that relates these two issues is very simply this. It's a breakdown in relationships. And many people can testify to that at a very personal level. But I want to bring to you, first of all, the most important relationship that you could ever form. And then we look out at the horizontal. Can we just read a few verses? Um, The first one's in Exodus, if you have a Bible, um, or if you have um, an app. Exodus chapter 33 And it's verse 7 I want to read. This is maybe unusual, but let's read it anyway. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. A tent of meeting put up by Moses. Let's read verse 11. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as man as a man speaks with his friend. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The tent of meeting. Let's look at John chapter 3, and I don't know that there'll be anybody here that doesn't know this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16, I'm going to read it, and verse 17. Familiar? but something that we need always to be reminded of. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We know John 3.16 so well. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We used to sing as children, he did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek. It was to save he came. And finally, I just want to read in John's uh, Gospel, chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 35. Sorry, 34 to 35. John 13, um, 
verses 34 to 35. And Jesus is speaking. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How many times can you get love one another into a short passage like this? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So a bit of a health warning this morning. There's no deep, insightful theology, no deep exposition of Scripture, but a reminder of what we all already know and a reminder to do what is needful. Sometimes, uh, quite often, I will try and take notes uh, during a service. You may find it difficult to take notes this morning, but I trust that you don't find it difficult to take note. So don't worry too much about the notes. Just take note. The first thing that we have to recognize is that God wants a relationship with us. Before we can ever get into the relationships with other people, it's imperative that we sort out the relationship or that the relationship with God is sorted out first. If you turn to Genesis, we'll not do it, but if you were to turn to Genesis very quickly, in fact, in the very first chapter, you realize that God is a relational God because God says, let us make man in our image. That comes out of nowhere. God says, let us make man in our image. So God is a relational God. He relates. And as Scripture goes on, we then learn of the Trinity. We learn of the Holy Spirit. We learn of Jesus Christ, the Son. And we learn of God, the Father. It's a relationship. So before we even get into the story of the creation itself, we hear about a relationship between the Godhead. God is a relational God. And in Genesis, we read of that beautiful garden, that place of paradise, that place where there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no separation, there was no loneliness, where man and woman got on together. So did the animal kingdom. And the relationship with God, that vertical relationship, was a perfect relationship. But we know the tragedy that happened in Genesis chapter 3, and that relationship was broken. And from that broken relationship, we have all of the problems that the world currently faces. The horrors of Ukraine and Russia, of Israel and Gaza, and now Pakistan and Yemen. And these are only the ones that are making the headlines. There are more out there, conflicts, relational problems. Fundamentally, the issue is that man has rebelled against God. And until that relationship is sorted, there will be no peace on earth. John 3.16 shows the extent that God goes to to remedy that broken relationship. And this morning, I do want to take that opportunity to remind anyone here in the building or perhaps watching by video that that relationship must be set right. And the person that sets that right takes the initiative is God. And God sends his son to die on a cross for us. And we've remembered that this morning. So graphically, the bread that shows his body broken for us and the wine that shows the blood that was spilt. And we cannot stress enough that before we work on the horizontal relationships within church and in society at large, that vertical relationship with God must be made right. 
And it's not an automatic thing. There, there needs to be a response from us to God. He has made the way, and it's up to us just to respond in repentance and accept the forgiveness that he gives. And he reminded us of John, of, of, of denying, or sorry, of Peter denying the Lord three times. It's not that we're landed. It's not that we get everything right once we have that relationship with God right, but we have the grace and the mercy and the Holy Spirit to help us to become the people that God wants us to be. That vertical relationship can be reestablished, and once it is, then we can work out on the horizontal, but until it is, we will fail. Having got the relationship right with God in terms of the vertical, we can then work on the horizontal relationships. And our title this morning was really to focus in on the community, the church community, if you like, and caring for each other. But the story of the Good Samaritan reminds us that we must not stop at the church. We must go out and make others feel welcome, like the Good Samaritan, those that see things differently from us, people that come from another persuasion. We must show them compassion and love. But it's that third verse that I read that reminds us how seriously Jesus took that loving each other. Let's just read that again. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I ask you this morning, I challenge you, do you take that verse seriously? Do you love the people in this church? Are there some that you do not love? And as I ask that question, I'm asking myself that same question. And when I criticize people, am I loving them as I ought? This verse was taken, or Jesus spoke these words because they were on his heart. And he asked, or he said to the disciples, this is how people will know. And if people are looking at our lives and seeing people that do not love, do not care, then there's a question mark. Because it's by this people will know that you are my disciples. How disappointed Jesus must be when he sees us as brothers and sisters falling out with each other. It takes grace It's not that we're asked to like. There are people that we generally just don't like, but that's not what we're asked to do. We're asked to love. Some time ago I spoke, um, I was up here and I was talking about um, a study that was performed a number of years ago, not so long ago. But in that study, um, a scientist took multiple studies of relationships and tried to look at them in terms of longevity. She tried to see what correlated with people living longer. And I I remember mentioning this when I was up here, but I've thought about it ever since. The correlation between longevity, living longer, relied on a number of things. And some of them will be very familiar. Exercise, that's one of them. It's quite low down. Nutrition, that was there. It correlated with living a bit longer. But what was at the very top of that list 
The strongest correlation was the number of contacts that we make on a daily basis. The people that live the longest statistically are the people that have those multiple relationships. Now, second on the list was the deep and meaningful relationships. That's the the people that look out for you, that care. That was surprising. You might have thought that was the number one. But the number one is the number of contacts that you make. My brothers and sisters, do not underestimate a smile, a handshake, a nod, a look. It's important that we learn these lessons because this is part of loving each other. And I remember Googling this individual, and and it took us to an island somewhere in Italy. Uh, Mario will be glad to know. Some island. The name escapes me now. But it was full of um, individuals who were over 100 years old. But as you watched the video, you saw people coming in, the scientist, the, the psychologist, whoever it was doing the study, she was in the room with this, the, the oldest man on the island, but people were coming and going and shouting and, and greeting each other. And I think in our society and here, we're kind of losing that. But I want to emphasize that very practically for the church, just to show that kind of interest in other people, a bit of compassion, just a nod, just a, a friendship, and asking how people are, meaningful relationships. Remember that we are created in the image of God and that God is a relational God. And whenever those relationships break down, we're exhibiting a broken world. At a very practical level, what does this actually mean? What does it mean for us as a church? Well, the first thing I wanted to say was it involves all of us, all of us. This isn't just a special gift. There are those that are gifted in pastoral work. There's no question in that. But all of us as a church function as a body. And that's made very clear in so many verses. My problem this morning wasn't getting verses to to speak to this morning. The problem was knowing which ones. The Bible is full of this concept of relationship, of loving each other, of a healthy church. The problem was which verses um, to pick out. But it's the responsibility of every single one of us. There's nobody gets off the hook in this. We have a part to play in making each other um, feel welcomed, feeling loved, feeling cared for. Not everybody can share the deepest problems and issues and concerns they have. And so there will be those within a church, the, the sum, who are better place to to listen and to hear the issues and the problems that people face. And there may, in fact, only be a very few within any given church who are in that privileged but also accountable position of hearing the deepest problems or concerns that individuals have that they do not want shared. So when I say that all are involved in this kind of loving and this pastoral relationship within the church, that's to recognize that there are some people for whom it is a special calling. In fact, Ephesians 4.11 says it's a special gift for some people. And it would be good to see those within the church exercise that gift if they have it. But how on earth do you ever know if you have a gift? Well, you practice it and you see if that gift is yours. At a very practical level for the church, the way it, it operates is that there are elders to whom people may go if they feel that they have something that they need help with or they've got a problem with. 
And practically what happens then is that, that is kind, if it is appropriate, it is shared out with more discreet people, carefully and confidentially. And then there are others for whom um, there are issues and problems that are, can be prayed for uh, corporately, and we can all roll in behind at a very practical <laughs> level. I've listed a few things here that we can do practically as a church just to make sure that we fulfill our pastoral responsibilities. We can ensure that no one feels left out. Is there ever someone sitting on their own? Very practically in a church, is it possible just to leave your seat and sit beside them? You know, as I was preparing last night, just looking over what um, I had to say, um, Heather sent me a a text and it was so good. I'm going to read it verbatim. Thank you, Heather. Um, I'm just going to read this out. I, it was what I was thinking, but it was just articulated so well. I thought, let's just, just read this. Andrew Stewart, darling, said this. <clears throat> so bear with me. So super excited to have just joined the welcome team at my church. And here's why. Research shows that most visitors will have made up their mind in the first two minutes whether they will come again or not. So, says Andrew, I'm in. If I can help, I'm in. This might be discouraging if you're a pastor or speaker at the front. It's actually not a disappointment at all. Um, Because you know, or because you know your worship team are on fire at the moment. But actually, it is probably the small, almost missed things that will decide whether you win a second Sunday of your visitors or not. Take the hotel doorman theory. There is value having someone stand at the front of a hotel, even when the door can be automatically opened. It is the smile, the reassurance, the knowledge of taxis, the umbrella, and the small comments that make the guests stay, uh, makes the, the guests stay more memorable. These are the small, intangible things that are so hard to put a value on, but worth everything when visiting, when visiting a church for the first time. This is very practical. And if you want to be part of that welcoming team, just say. That's because, says Andrew, we are created to be social animals. And those small human moments of connection are what keep us coming. John Wimber, founded the Vineyard Church, used to say, people come to church for many reasons, but stay for one. Relationship. Now, that relationship, as we've learned this morning, is twofold. It's a vertical and a horizontal. After 28 years of pastoral experience, I think this is very true. It takes a lot of guts to turn up at a church when you don't know what you believe and everyone seems to know someone else. So if I can bring a smile and ease the tension a little, I reckon the sermon has already begun. Thank you, Heather. And that's a very practical thing but very, very true. It's not sometimes all of the stuff that we sometimes think are so important in terms of uh, greeting people or making them feel welcome. It's just sometimes the small things. Sometimes, and Stevie mentioned this, there are people that we can relate to uh, more specifically because of our life experience or because of age And although there is a risk of that becoming a clique or whatever, Stevie showed us that accountability um, in operation with other people of his own age where they can relate to each other. And I want to encourage people to form those relationships, not at the exclusion of others, 
but in, a ter- in terms of accountability. We've heard about locker room again as a, as a concept for, for men and how important that is. We could join the visiting team. People in this church may, some people may not know that there is a visiting team that will go out and meet. Generally, it's the more vulnerable people or people that haven't been out at church, but there's no reason why that shouldn't be expanded to include other people. Um, there's other people in the church that may just love a visit, just love somebody to call in just to say hello or just to break the monotony. So I want to encourage you. Um, Stephen uh, is still in charge of that. I think Stephen would be quite happy to give that to somebody else if you feel uh, led or gifted in, in that field. But you may want to join that visiting team and we may want to extend that out um, further. At a very practical level too, you may want to become part of the kind of pastoral team. It's a very informal team that we have. It's a very small team that kind of coordinate things. Now, there have been a few in the church that have already approached us and said, look, we'd like to be doing this. Maybe not that kind of heavy-duty stuff that some people have to do, but just, just calling with people and having a coffee and a friendly chat. That has been noted, uh, and we will be calling on such individuals. But can we encourage other people uh, to do the same? Maybe to be on part of a WhatsApp group. Now, of course, we need to be extremely careful on social media and, and things like that, and we're very, very mindful of that. Let's maybe think of this as concentric rings going out and more and more people being involved in those concentric rings of support uh, within the church. Another thing you could do is, if you haven't already done it, and it's been mentioned, join a small group. I can't really emphasize that enough. The small group is a time where we come together, yes, to discuss um, what we've been learning and to look at scriptures and things together, just to have discussion, but it's a time to pray, a time to share with people in a much more intimate kind of um, atmosphere where people can be honest and just open up. It's a time when we can use our WhatsApps, and if somebody has a, an interview uh, or is going for tests, we can put it in the WhatsApp just for people to pray. I want to encourage you to be part of a small group, to be part of that kind of pastoral um, environment. There's very simple things you can do. You can text people. You can have accountable friends, as Stevie um, reminded us. You can simply, you can text people or, or mentor people. And I want to emphasize at this stage too, there are people within this church that are doing a lot of this already. And they are known uh, to at least some people. I just want to thank them sincerely from the front this morning. Quite often, your work is not recognized formally, but it's extremely important. And we're very thankful for those that visit people that need help or alone, who sometimes need taken to an appointment, or perhaps for some reason are incapacitated and unable to look after themselves for short periods of time. All of us have a part to play Some have a a special gift, but it excuses none of us. And I want to encourage you this morning not to think of the them and the us, but simply the us. How do we make things better? How do we improve things? I find a little acronym quite helpful. Um, I don't know if you journal or you maybe bullet journal, maybe you keep a diary. Um, I, I find just this little acronym, JOT, very easy to, to remember. It's just one thing. And I, I've sort of dedicated that to kind of pastoral things. This is a recent innovation, so just don't blame me if I haven't shown that, you haven't, ex- you haven't experienced that. But JOT, just one thing. 
And every day I try to do just one pastoral thing. Just, maybe it's just a text to somebody to say, how are you? Or um, maybe it's following up on something somebody said to me, jot, just one thing. I, I did think for a while, maybe it should be at least one thing. Maybe I should be doing more. But when I wrote that down, it was A-L-O-T, a lot. And it kind of spooked me a bit, so I've stuck to the jot. At a very practical level, maybe I could encourage you just to even do that. And maybe you've got a calendar, just write jot every day, and then maybe tick it off when you've done something pastoral. This all sounds soft and fluffy, but it's part of the loving that we were commanded to do. It's not an option. It's something that we were commanded to do. Imagine this church as a fellowship where everybody looked out for each other, where everybody was genuinely concerned when somebody else suffered and genuinely happy when someone else succeeded. Stevie reminded us last week, Stevie, I've given a lot of references to you this morning, but I hope at least it shows I was listening. He reminded us that great community is not found, it is forged. Great community is not found, it is forged. If you want this church to be the community that God wants it to be, then I ask you, I implore you, to be the change you want to see. It's tempting to leave the church and feel no one's talking to me. And by the way, please do forgive us if that's the case. We're characters under construction. But can I ask you, as a church, to reflect on these things. It's tempting to leave, but why don't you light a candle instead of cursing the darkness? And I know that that's hard for people who do feel isolated. So forgive us when we get it wrong. But remember the commandment and work it out for yourselves. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can we just pray together? <laughs> Our Father, as we've reflected on these things, we acknowledge the love that you have shown us Father, we acknowledge the welcome that you have given us. Father, we confess that we were the most unlikely to be loved and unwelcomed, but for a grace that goes beyond our comprehension. Father, this morning we have been welcomed. Help us to welcome each other. Help us, Father, to welcome others. Father, help us to reflect that love that you have shown. Father, Help us to take seriously the command to love one another. Father, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for all in it. Thank you for those that do so much. Father, may they be encouraged. And may the rest of us, Father, be given the grace to do what we ought to do. In Jesus' name, amen.